Hello. Hello. Um, if I might begin, no, not going to begin with a Bible passage. I'm going to introduce myself. Uh, I am James. This is uh, the first time in many years that I've been able to stand before you and not say that I work for Holy Trinity Clapham, uh, which is a great privilege. I used to be the buildings manager, uh, and uh, so now there is absolutely no reason you can't, after the service, come to me and say the toilets are blocked. Uh, and that feels great. I mean, actually, you still can, but I don't have to do anything about it. Um, and in fact, actually, I never used to do anything about it. I just tell tell Tom to do, in fact I just emailed Tom, it's really a miracle that they kept me employed for as long as they did. Um, So I'm not supposed to say I was sacked, Josh says I've got to stop saying that, as does my non-disclosure agreement. um, So let's let's look at the the Bible and um, focus. Um, So today we're looking at Luke chapter 13 verses 1 to 17. Um, For those of you who don't know where that is in the Bible, that is on page 1046 of the Bibles in your pews. They're on the ends. Grab them, pass them along. It says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Father God, uh, as we study the word together, I pray that you would bless it to our hearts uh, and that we would know more of you through it. Amen. Uh, This morning's Bible passage breaks down easily into three parts, which will give us advice that will take us from the beginning of the Christian life right the way through. Unusually, I want to start by looking briefly at the last of those, and then I'll come back to it later. Jesus is at the synagogue on the Sabbath. That is the Jewish day of rest laid down in the Ten Commandments. Um, It's a day when all forms of work are forbidden. And while he's teaching, 
or just after he's finished, this woman who has been crippled for 18 years, the Bible tells us she's been completely bent over, couldn't straighten up. She comes to to Jesus and he heals her. Now in the understanding of the day, healing was considered to be work. And so the synagogue leader is outraged because the woman has come for healing on the day of rest when there is to be no work. And Jesus, obviously though, thought it was worth doing anyway. And here's why. Our God is a compassionate God who hates, hates to see human suffering. He is not some detached, far away God who doesn't care about people. He's not some blind watchmaker who set the universe in motion and then stepped back and took his hands away. And that is why 2,000 years ago he came into the world himself in the form of Jesus to bring hope to mankind. When Jesus healed people, it was not just to bring hope for today, hope that like a divine vending machine, God will answer our prayers. But hope for tomorrow too. Hope for a day when God will dry every tear and when there will be no more pain. That is what Jesus is showing when sometimes he chooses to bring that future into today and heal someone. And that's why, as a God of compassion, Jesus could not stand to see that woman suffering for another day. This whole passage comes in light of that promised future. And it tells us how we can be a part of it and how we should respond if we want to be. In chapter 12, just before this, Jesus has been teaching about how important it is to be aware of that future. Aware that our time on earth could come to an end at any moment, either through our own death or through the end of the world. And how important it is that we respond to that fact. He warns us that the end is coming. Now on the back of this, in verse 1 of today's passage, it seems that some people have come to Jesus to talk about some locals who, who, uh, the Bible says, had their blood mixed with their sacrifices by Pilate. Um, We don't know much about this event from history, but it seems like these were probably some rebels who were standing up to Roman authority, and Pilate, who was the local Roman governor at the time, um, came in heavy-handed while they were making sacrifices and worshipping God, and killed a lot of them. And it looks like the people have mentioned this to Jesus to make a specific point. They're saying, look, these people who were killed, they obviously weren't faithful. They were bad Jews. We know that because we know that because because God punished them. Surely they wouldn't have been killed if they had been doing the right thing, because God wouldn't do that to good people. Those are the kind of people you're talking about when you talk about being ready for the end times, aren't you, Jesus? Those are the people, the bad people, right? But Jesus, he turns around and he tells them very clearly that is not what he's saying. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. Jesus refuses to be misunderstood. He is not telling us that we need to behave or we will be punished in this life. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others, he says? There is no promise that good Israelites or even good Christians will get a Ferrari and that bad ones are going to die. Anyone who tells you otherwise is probably selling something. In fact, Jesus promises that for those who follow him, the gate is narrow and the way is hard. But Jesus actually goes further here. Some people will tell you that Jesus was a good moral teacher. He had some some lovely ideas. He came to tell people to be a bit better. 
But Jesus says, I tell you no. These people were no worse than any others. In fact, he says we will all perish if we don't repent. Now, what does he mean by repent? Um, It kind of comes off as Christian jargon, doesn't it? It's a word that gets bandied about in popular culture and in churches. And I think we we probably all have some ideas about what it means based on that. Um, Where we read repent in the Bible, the word usually literally means an about turn. It's a 180 degree, degree change in direction. Um, it's going back to where you were from, from where you've gone. It's go- it, you were going to A, and you are now going to B. You were facing north, now you're facing south. You did have your eyes fixed that way, now you have your eyes fixed on that. Where it's used about personal change, therefore, it's always about a radical personal change. Not a little one, but a radical personal change of life. Turning from one pattern of life towards another. Jesus' prescription here is not for us to be a little bit better people. Jesus does not challenge us to give up some naughty behaviours but keep the rest of our lives the same as perhaps some of us do during Lent. He isn't telling us to cut back on our drinking and be a bit nicer to our neighbours. He is calling for a complete change of life. From living for ourselves to living for God. He's asking us to take our eyes off, facing onto what we think is right and what we want to do, and choosing to trust that God knows what is right. Christianity can't be a bolt-on that we add to our comfortable life that we were living before. It can't be a handy label we use when we want, but we cast off when we don't, or that we ignore the rest of the time. Jesus says that if we want to be part of the amazing future, without pain, without suffering, we need to repent, giving every decision and every action over to God. So the first challenge in this passage this morning is that Jesus wants us all to repent. He wants us to turn to God and put him at the centre of our lives so that everything we do is for him and focused on him. The message here is pretty stark. Jesus says, repent or perish. But Jesus does promise by his actions healing this crippled woman and by his words at other parts in the Bible that there are real blessings in turning to God. If you're considering becoming a Christian, I can only say it's the most important and the best decision you'll ever make. Jesus does not promise an easy ride, but he does promise real blessings, joy, peace, and a host of other blessings. So Jesus makes it clear in verses 1 to 5 that he is not primarily concerned with what we're doing, but who our lives are turned towards. But then from verse 6, he tells what on the face of it is a really odd parable about a tree. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This tree has been there for three years. That is more than long enough for those who are not in advanced horticulture. That is more than long enough for a fig tree to start bearing fruit. The owner of the vineyard tells the employee to cut it down. The employee asks for a bit longer to tend it, sort it out, make it bear fruit. You see, Jesus wants to see fruit in our lives. 
Jesus' first and most important instruction is to repent. He wants us to turn towards God and choose life. Or there will be real consequences. He says that. But we can't fake it. God won't buy it. We have to wonder if we look at our lives and there is no fruit, if nothing is changing, have we really put God at the center or is our faith dead inside? Um, As many of you will know, I've mentioned it already, I used to work for the church and if you look outside uh, our church hall at Trinity House, you will see two trees. One of my jobs uh, before I left was to make sure that those trees were reduced. They were getting too big and can cause damage to local buildings. So I got some tree surgeons in. Ever since we got those tree surgeons in, if you go and look at those trees now, you will find that one of them has leaves on it. It's spring, it certainly should do. The other one does not. And I didn't mention this before I left. Um, Probably needs to be cut down before it falls down, Jago. Um, You can maybe make it into copies of Working Without Wilting. And um, that tree is dead inside because it is not bearing any fruit on its branches. It looks fine on the outside, but inside it is dead. I have three goddaughters. Um, I tell them I love them. I write them birthday cards. But if I don't turn up to, to, to show it now and then, if I don't make an effort beyond just my words, actually, there's no evidence. And my love for them quite, could, could well be dead inside. They have no way of knowing. What did Jesus mean by fruit? What does Jesus mean by fruit? What fruit should we see in a Christian life? Well, in the letter to Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And he contrasts those with the fruit of our own sinful nature, which I will leave you to read in your own time, book of Galatians. In other words, although Jesus wants all of us to change who we're following, he also wants to change, he wants us to change how we are behaving. Our church vision statement is every life bearing fruit for Jesus. That's based on Isaiah 27, 6, which says, In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill the whole world with fruit. Jesus wants every person to fulfill their potential as Christians. And that does mean radical change in our lives. But that will result in a change in the world. So the second challenge from this passage is this. When we look at our lives, are they bearing fruit for Jesus? Are we changing day by day and growing into the likeness that Jesus lays out for us with his words and actions in the Bible? And if not, why not? Have we honestly in our heart of hearts repented? Is Jesus genuinely the focus of our lives? Or is there something else that is for us more important Is there something that means that we can't or won't live our lives for him? And if so, we really need to get it out of the way. Then finally, in verse 10, we find Jesus teaching in the synagogue on a Saturday. I've already talked about it a little bit. He sees this woman who's been burdened with a crippling illness for almost 20 years. And so he heals her. The leader of this synagogue is furious. Probably not at Jesus, because that would have been inappropriate, but actually at the woman, and he addresses his words to the people, at the woman for coming for healing on the Sabbath. Jesus says to the synagogue leader, no, no. Jesus, as God on earth, is profoundly compassionate upon this woman. He could not stand to watch her suffer for even another day. And so, regardless of this synagogue leader's sensibilities, he heals her. 
As I said earlier, this is a Sabbath day, a Saturday. As it's laid out in the Ten Commandments, it's a day of rest. No work can be done. Debates went on about this, about what work means. And actually, they come to quite a strict point at this time in history. They wanted to get it exactly right. So generally, an Israelite would not be allowed to even untie his donkey to then go and take it to work. Even untying it would be a sin. But he would be allowed to untie it for, to preserve its life, to take it to water or uh, to, to feed it. That would be fine. And that is why there's this slightly unflattering comparison between uh, the woman and a donkey um, that Jesus makes. You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Obviously, Jesus has a different definition of work to this synagogue leader. And, and, And taking pity on someone and healing them, that's not part of it. So yes, Jesus wants us to repent. And yes, he does in time want us to bear fruit in line with his will. But what he does not want is for us to begin adding rules and burdens to people that don't come from God. He doesn't want us to become legalistic, working so hard to obey the letter of the law that actually we forget the spirit of the law. That doesn't mean, of course, that God's laws don't matter. Of course they do. God has made them for a reason. They are there for a reason. But sometimes we will, we do, choose to add to God's law. And we mustn't do that. For example, in the Bible, it is very clear that we need to forgive others. But actually, when it comes down to the wire, when we're asked to do it, it's not so easy, is it? And it's very easy for us to say something like, well, they're not really sorry, so I'm not going to forgive them. Actually, the Bible just tells us to forgive. It doesn't tell us to seek someone, someone's apology. It tells us to forgive. That's the instruction. But we add to it. Likewise, the Bible tells us that all that is required to become a Christian is to receive and believe in Jesus. But we very easily fall into saying or thinking that someone is not a Christian because they come from a different church tradition to us or a different type of worship to us. One of my pet hates is, is people separate, separate, sorry, uh, uh, is when, when people use mobile phones in church. When, uh, sorry if someone's doing it now. Uh, when, when, when someone's speaking, it's, it's just me. If it's someone else, it'd be a problem. Um, but actually, that doesn't disqualify them. I might, I might sit behind them tutting, but it doesn't stop them being a Christian. I could, if I made a big issue out of that, I could add to someone's burden. And that's not right. Sometimes people text me while I'm speaking. That's really weird. Someone texts me once saying, this is going really well. I don't know if they expected me to take out my phone and look. Um, when we do this, when we add to God's word, we begin to add burdens that drag ourselves down or that unnecessarily harm other people who God really wants to come to know him. And it comes back to repentance. Jesus is concerned that we are turned to God and that we are living a life for him in every way. He's also concerned that we live that out by a radical change of life, which bears fruit. But he absolutely does not want us to become so concerned with our fruit that we forget why we're doing it. But when we turn back away from, sorry, when we do that, we turn back away from God and we turn to the rules that we have made up. We turn to our own desires, our own intentions, our own little hang-ups about mobile phones. We start adding to God's law, like that synagogue leader did. We must not add to the gospel. So as I finish, I just want to raise each of those challenges for us today. First and foremost, have you repented and turned your life to Jesus? If not, ignore everything else. God wants you to know him and to turn your life to him and offers a rich and fulfilling, if not easy, life if you do. 
I can only recommend it. Do not put it off. Do not wait. Turn to Jesus today. Do. But if you do, don't keep it to yourself. I was talking to another youth leader a while ago, and um, she was saying that one of her youth club had become a Christian and hadn't told anyone for two months. Two months. Um, Today is an opportunity. There will be a prayer team up here in a moment who will be only too happy to pray to you. Come tell them the good news uh, and, and let them pray with you. They'd be overjoyed. If not, pray with somebody next to you, someone you come with, uh, someone you just met during, during that time just now. Secondly, perhaps you're already a Christian and you look at your life and you are disappointed by the fruit that you see or you see no fruit at all. Jesus wants you to be fruitful and today is a great day to take another step and say, Jesus, make me more fruitful. And again, the prayer team will be here in a moment. We'll be only too happy to pray, pray into that with you. And finally, maybe you are living a fruitful life to Jesus, but you know that sometimes you can be a little bit legalistic. Maybe you hold yourself and other people religiously to standards that actually God didn't lay down, doesn't expect of you. Maybe you feel that you live by the law and not by love. Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full, not that we may have rules and beat people over the head with them. This morning is a great chance to pray into that and to ask Jesus to help you make a change away from legalism. Because Jesus really does want us to be living repented, fruitful, free lives for him. As a finish, shall we pray? Father God, thank you that despite all that we have done, all that we fail to do in this life, you offer us the chance to turn to you and know you personally. Thank you that forgiveness is there for us if we only ask. Thank you that after we turn to you, you transform us to be more like Jesus every day. Help us to work with you despite our human natures. And thank you, Jesus, that you come to bring freedom from the law. And we pray that we won't abuse that freedom, but that we will live joyfully in you day by day. Amen.